doing this morning? Woo! That's right. Let's, let's get some energy in here. My name's Michaela. If you guys don't know me, I'm the executive director here, and I'm also one of the teachers. But it's been about six months since I've gotten to teach here, um, and I miss it so much. I miss you guys. I had this dream that I was teaching today, but we were all, there was no chairs. We were all just in a big living room. We had couches and everything, so I think we should petition to get that to happen sometime. Um, but I feel that way when I'm up here with you guys, so thanks for letting me be here um, and be a part of this. Um, as Katie said, we are talking about soul friendships today, and I love this. I love friendships. I have received both sides of being lonely and of also having great wealth and friendship, and so I feel like, as Katie said, I can stand here um, with some authority. That's maybe not the right word, but at least with the ability to know that I've been on both sides. I moved here from a small town in Texas. I left every single one of my friends and family members, and 10 years ago, moved here to San Diego where I knew a total of zero people. And so it was really crazy. I also was working from home, which doesn't lend itself well to meeting new friends. And so um, I've been there for sure, but they mentioned life groups. That's the way that I really got friends was through this church, through life group. And I've now surrounded myself with many of you guys who have been my friend, been there for me through thick and thin. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have a group of friends, uh, get in life groups. You'll find some fast ones that also want some as well. So that's a great way. Um, and when I learned that I was going to be talking about soul friendships, I was so excited. I love my friends. I love people. I love being together with people and just sharing life. And so I have all these stories that I was thinking about. I was thinking of all my friends when I was young and then the ones that I've met here. And I thought a lot about how clunky making friends can be. I've been getting to watch my little kids. I have a seven and eight-year-old. I've been getting to watch them do it as kids. It's much easier. Kids don't care what your name is, who you are. If you want to swing on the swings with them, they'll swing on the swings with you. But I have recently seen some kids and said to London or Durban, hey, why don't you go talk to that kid? And I see them go like this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And pretty soon they will go figure it out. But I thought, isn't it the same as adults? It's also clunky too. When I first had my oldest son and I had to go and try to make mom friends at the park, I was like, this is like dating, but way worse. Hey, how's your kid? Can I get your phone number? I'm not weird at all. I just, I need friends. Do you need friends? Yes. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's a clunky thing, but we all want it, right? Like we all have, you know, a thousand people as friends on Facebook, but don't we all just really go, oh, I want, I want more. And so I was excited about sharing that with you guys. I was really excited to talk about the fun stuff. And then I got a phone call this last week. I was on vacation. I was in Mexico and it was midnight. I was laying in bed and I was about to fall asleep and my phone rang. And it was a soul friend of mine. And she knew that I was in Mexico. She knew it was midnight. I knew that she knew that. And so we both knew that this was a phone call I was going to take. And so I answered the phone. I crawl out of bed. I go to the bathroom as stealthily as I can. Hello. And I could hear the crack in her voice, that crack of hours of crying, that crack of desperation that says, I needed somebody to answer this phone call. And I asked her what was going on, and she had woken up in the middle of the night and had gone into another room and discovered her young child struggling with something pretty serious. 
and she was devastated. Her child was devastated, her husband was devastated, and she'd just been totally broken, crying. And so I laid in the bathroom of my hotel room and cried with her. We prayed together, we cursed Satan together, we begged God to bring innocence back into this family again, and then we let each other go, and I'm sure went to war and prayer together as well, even though um, we weren't on the phone together. And man, this message in that moment reminded me that yes, I'm excited, I'm excited about sharing the joys of friendship and all the great things, but it is essential, it is vital that we have this message today. It is vital. God has got bigger plans than just fun celebrations for us through our friendships. And I know that this message has the opportunity to radically change the trajectory of our lives if we let it. And I know that it has for me. And many times, I know that it will continue to do that. And so I want you to set aside all the things that you think about friendship. Um, when I said we're talking about friendships or when Katie said that, all the men may have tuned out. I want you guys to know this is for you. I want you to tune back in. Um, Pastor Kurt made a really funny joke earlier. He said, you know, Jesus was a 33-year-old man when he died, and he had 11 guy friends, and they were close ones. And so, you guys, this is for you. Um, and so let's all do this together because I know we all want that kind of friend. We want to be the friend someone can call at midnight on vacation, and we want to know that we have people that we can do that with. So, you guys, we're going to pray together and um, ask God to do something big today in our lives. So, Lord, man, thank you for this message. Thank you that friendship isn't just icing on a cake, Lord, but it, that it is the true guts of a thing. God, I pray that today, if there's anyone in here that feels lonely, that feels wrecked, Lord, that you would be here to radically transform them. God, that you would be reminding them of friendships that can be there for them. And Lord, that you would cultivate within us the opportunity to be a soul friend. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, there's someone sitting next to us, most likely, or maybe across the room, who is going to need us in their lives. There might be people in this room whose lives are literally falling apart. They did their best to be clean and enclosed today, and they may have even smiled, but inside their home, things are falling apart, and they need you. There's some of us that have made it through to the other side that we're going to get to be those encouragers, those cheerleaders in someone's life. And I promise you, um, just like that song said, nothing is wasted, your journey will be the promise that gets somebody else through theirs. And there may be some of us on a mountaintop right now with a foundation cracking below us that we don't know about, and we need to have those relationships. And so um, I want us to be thinking about that, who those people are in our lives. And um, how many of you have heard the saying, you are what you eat? Anybody? Okay, how many of you are something fried after the community question? Yeah. I am definitely like Texas toast with mashed potatoes and gravy from Whataburger, if anybody's from the South. Okay. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you need to go. Um, but I've heard that phrase a lot, and it came to mind whenever I was preparing my talk. But I thought of it a little bit further, that we aren't just what we eat, but we are who we eat with. We are who we eat with. Because if you eat junk every single day, you will eventually begin to feel like junk. That's the you are what you eat. It will happen. But if you are very, very healthy, you work out, you watch what you eat, there's more green on your plate than fried. Um, if you eat with other people, though, who eat junk all the time, you will eventually eat some of their junk. And you all know that friend of yours that's always trying to get you off your diet. 
So you will eventually do that. And so friendships can cause us to go one way or the other. There's an author, Jim Rohn, and he did a study on this. And so he says that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So that means that your bank account is probably a little bit smaller than some of the people that you hang out with and a little bit bigger than some of the people you hang out with. Your marriage is a little bit happier than some of the people you hang out with and a little bit worse than some of the people you hang out with. Your spiritual life is probably a little bit worse than some of the people you hang out with, but a little bit better than some of the people you hang out with. So what he's saying is very similar to what I'm saying of you are who you eat with. And so it's really important for us to know who we eat with. So I want you guys um, to take a moment right now. There should be some pens in the back of your seat, or if you've got your phone, you can type. And I want you to write down the five people that you spend the most time with, or the five people you allow to influence your life, or that you influence theirs, and the people that you would choose to eat with, if they happen to be out of town, you would eat with them, or people that you do actively eat with. And I want you to think about these people as we go through this message. I want you to be thinking about them um, as we talk about it. Because if we get this right, and we have the right friends in our life, we're going to see our marriages, our finances, our spiritual life get better. But if we get this area wrong, we're going to see those things start to decline. It's just what happens. Not only is it something that's just na nature for us, but God also talked about it too. There's a proverb that says, iron sharpens iron. The good ones are going to make us better. There's another one that says, if you keep company with bad people, your life will eventually come to ruin. The bad ones are going to make us worse. It's just what happens. And so God didn't just create friendships so that our life could get better or so that we can keep it from getting worse. He created it for something much more profound than this. Because the other thing is not really worth talking about on Sunday. But what God actually intended for friendship is, you see, we get it wrong a lot. And it's not our fault. Um, totally, but American culture really sows this seed. Our American culture tells us that our existence is about something else, and the best way that I know to explain it is I had a professor in college. He was Nigerian, and he came from Nigeria to Michigan and then later to my college in Texas, but when he was in Michigan, he had just moved there, and he was like, Americans were so nice. They brought food over to my house to say thank you for moving into the neighborhood. And they were so kind. He was like, but Americans were very strange when it came to their existence. Everyone would come up and say, what's your name? And then the next question was, what do you do? And he had no idea what they meant. So he said, well, I love my family. I mow my yard. I put puzzles together. He was so confused on what we meant. And he later came to learn what many of us know innately in our being, that what Americans feel their purpose and their destiny is, is what do we do that brings us wealth and power? Because that is who we are and that is what we do, is we find things that will bring us wealth and power. It's why we see people that are stay-at-home parents or who have recently lost a job dip down into deep depression because they are no longer getting the wealth and the power that American culture says is our purpose and our destiny. And so God is so good and thankfully was before America was ever created. And so we're going to look at what he says our existence and our purpose is. And if you're curious what this has to do with friendship, just hang in there with me. At Genesis 1, 
This is back to the very beginning of creation. It says that God created us in his image. Has anyone else ever wondered why he created us in his image? I mean, when he created the birds and the land and the plants and the animals and all of that, he used his imagination. But when he created human beings, he created us in his image. And when you learn why, I hope this transforms you as it did me. But God created each one of us in his image so that we would never, ever be without him. Every single day, we would look around at someone else created in his image. God would always be in community with us. We would never be alone. We would never be without his presence. Because you can look to your neighbor right now and see the image of God. He was such a good father that he never left us alone. He created us for this very purpose, that we would reflect him to someone else. Our created purpose, our destiny, has nothing to do with what we do here on this earth to accumulate wealth or power. It has everything to do with our friendship to another person. It has everything to do with us reflecting God to someone else. Friendships, friends, is essential, not consequential. Friendship is essential. It's not consequential. It's not something that we can give or take. It's not the icing on the cake. It's the eggs in the batter that that made the cake at all. Friendship is not something, men or women, that you can do without in this life and make it through to the other side. So let's agree on this together. Let's agree that our original intended and created purpose, our destiny, is friendship with another person. What if God created you in a way, not so that you would go to college and become a doctor or a lawyer or a business person, but so that you would reflect God to someone in your workplace? What if God created you as the role that you're at in your family, not to provide food on the table for another one of his sons or daughters, not to provide them with good educational opportunities or great after-school programs, but so that every single day when they woke up, they saw him. What if that is our created purpose? What if we lived that way? How would our world change? On a scale of one to 10, how are you doing at fulfilling that destiny, that purpose? If you have scored under five here, or when you wrote down that list of people, it was scarce, that's okay. We're all in this together. We've been there, and we're gonna get through it. God's word is so good. It's rich. We're gonna go to a letter In the book of Philippians, it's on page 570 if you want to follow along in your blue Bibles. I'm going to go around a little bit so you can also follow on the screens too. I'm going to tell you a little bit of background about why I chose this book. This is a group of people, a church, that was friends with a man named Paul. And Paul was a great leader at the time. Paul is, gosh, he is somebody that we all want to look up to because he actually was a really terrible person. He had made really bad decisions in his life. He was um, one of the religious leaders that was against Christians. He would actually imprison them and murder them for following Jesus. Yet he radically overturned his life and became one of the greatest leaders of all time, writing 13 books that we would read later in our Bible and follow after him. He's a great example to us when our life is at the bottom that we can overturn it and make a powerful difference in this world. But the real reason that I chose this was because Paul never actually hung out with Jesus. He didn't eat at the table with him. 
He didn't climb the mountain and sit face to face hearing his messages. Instead, Paul experienced Jesus through other people. Paul was a direct example of people like you and me living out our destiny and purpose of reflecting him to others. And those people moved him from murderer to leader. And each one of us in this room has that power to reflect God to someone else and move them from where they're at to somewhere else better. So we're going to read in this, in this letter. Paul wrote this letter to these friends of his. He's in prison right now. He is possibly going to get executed. He's in prison, in the same prison he has put other people in that he was about to murder. So he knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. He is on at the end of the rope. And so he writes a letter to these dear friends of his and shares with them some of his thoughts. And so we're going to read through. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold it you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Man, would you not love someone to write a letter to you like this, talking about you in this way? Paul is swooning over these people. He's gushing. He is saying, oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. He's in prison, and yet he's still able to write a letter filled with joy to these people. I mean, I need some people to write letters like this about me. Um, and so he is just beaming. But the reason he writes this letter is later on in Philippians 1.30, he says, when I was with you, you saw the struggles I had, and you heard about the struggles I'm having now, but you yourselves are having the same kind of struggles. See, Paul was in the middle of his own junk, and he, but he saw his friends struggling through the same thing. They're being persecuted too. They're going through the same stuff that he went through. And he knows that he may never get to see them again. He may be executed. And he knows they need him. But he might be gone. And so he decides in chapter 2 to share with them, you need each other. You need to learn how to be soul friends to each other as you have been to me and as I have been to you. And so he takes into the next chapter and shares with us, how can we be this kind of friend to each other so that if we're in the darkest place ever, if we're in the pits of prison, if we're in the pits of addiction or something else, that we can claim true joy because we have good friends. And so that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time is looking through how can we recognize soul friends? How can we be soul friends? So chapter 2, Paul goes and says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, you complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So the first thing Paul shares with us here is that to be a soul friend, you reflect God's presence. A soul friend reflects God's presence. 
A soul friend is with you. In verse 5, he said that they were in partnership with him. And then later in verse 30, he said, I see your struggles and you see mine. We're with each other. And often we can think of with each other as being physically here together. But God says something a little bit deeper here. It says to complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. This doesn't mean that we're all robots and we say the same things and do the same things. We may not have voted the same. We may be different genders. We may have all things out of common in life. But they decided to agree on one thing, that they would agree together to reflect Jesus to each other. They would agree to love one another as Jesus loved them. They were reflecting God's presence to one another. You see, Paul was in jail, but he still sent this letter to the Philippians. That meant he had to send somebody else. Timothy took this letter. Not only that, but the Philippians sent someone, his name was Epaphrodite, to Paul to encourage him. So they both sent presents to each other to encourage one another. But it meant risking time, energy. They were possibly going to be in danger. They were killing people that were following Jesus. But they said, we're going to participate together. They're going to participate together. I was at Disneyland yesterday, and this little girl was running, and she was crying. She had lost her mom. And the group I was with, we saw that, and we were like, Oh my gosh, we got to get her to her mom. So one person went and ran and got a security guard. The other person went to find the probably frantic mom. And so I just, I picked her up and I held her and I looked at her and I said, you're going to be okay, honey. We're going to find your mom. And she stopped crying. And one of the guys with me was like, that was magical. (laughs) And I was like, no, that was friendship. Like that's what we need when we're running around freaking out. We just need someone to hold us and say, I'm with you. And you're going to be okay. That's what we all need. We need the presence. A soul friend is going to bring presence to you. If you live across the country, FaceTime, thank goodness, prayers. Oh, my gosh, the presence of prayer. I want you to take a look at your list of five. How are you doing at expressing the presence of God to those five people? How are they doing at reflecting presence to you? And presence might be tricky, but it really is. It can be a hug or a smile. It can be a letter or a phone call. Presence is simply what that is, is being with each other, agreeing together to love one another. The second characteristic that Paul shares with us of a soul friend is a soul friend reflects God's sacrifice. Being a soul friend is not all fun and games. Should it be fun? Absolutely. I had the best time on vacation this last week with, there was eight of us. It was a fantastic time with soul friends. And we went to Mexico. We went to Disneyland, happiest place on earth, had a great time. Um, We had so much fun. Paul spends the whole first portion of his letter gushing over these people at how much joy they bring him. And so friendship should absolutely be fun. You should not feel horrible every time you're around your friends. But friendship is deeper than that. The sacrifice of friendship means going from that shallow end of fun and also being willing to go into the deep end. It means being willing to be vulnerable and share things with each other. It means really getting into that nitty-gritty. Paul says that you were all participants with me. 
And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but count others more significant than yourself. And that's hard stuff. One of my favorite stories of this soul friend sacrifice, one of my good friends, um, I, my husband and I were foster parents. We had three foster girls and then our two boys. And it was one of the hardest times of my entire life. I tell people all the time, I remember the smell of my carpet because I was laying face down in it more than I was walking on it because I was crying and praying all the time. But the thing about crying all the time is you cannot sleep and cry at the same time. And so I was not sleeping, but I still had to go to work every day, and I still had to take five kids to school every day, which meant feeding them every day, three meals. Who even knew we ate three meals a day? I didn't know till then, but it was, I was a mess. And I had this friend, she goes to church here, her name's Jamie Mangum, and she was so awesome. She knew that this was going on, I've been sharing it with her. And one night, she came over to my house, and she prayed over my house. She prayed for sleep, she prayed over each space, but she did not tell me she was there. She just came and was outside my house, praying over my house. The next day, she called me, she asked how I was doing, and I said, oh my God, you will not believe it, thank God I finally slept. One night, one night in the books, and she told me that she had been at my house, and had walked around and prayed for me. And I was like, thank you, God, for people who are willing to sacrifice their time, their energy, their family at times, when appropriate, for others, because, man, I needed that sleep. Soul friends sacrifice. But do you know, sacrifice takes vulnerability. It takes actually telling a friend the junk in your life. I had to tell someone that I was having a hard time. I had to admit that things were not going the way that I had planned for them to for the last year. My friend had to call me and tell me while I was on vacation some really intense stuff that was going on in her family. It takes vulnerability, but it also takes holding other people's brokenness with dignity. You have to be able to hear someone's brokenness and hold it with dignity. You need to have a friend that if they come over and share with you that they have been unfaithful to their spouse, that you can love them with dignity, hold their brokenness, but still see the good in them that they are and can still become. You have to be able to hold it with dignity because Jesus came and died for us not when we had got it all right, but when we were totally the biggest mess ever. And he said, you are worth saving. And then he let some of us be leaders at a church. Guys, this is serious. He did. He's allowed us to speak into each other's lives, not because we have made it and we're not broken anymore, but because we are broken, but we still choose to reflect him and to see his reflection in others. We have to be willing to make soul friend sacrifices. So look at that list of five. How are you doing at sacrificing for them? How are they doing at sacrificing for you? Are you sharing deep stuff, or do they just know your favorite nail color, or do they just know what games you play? Are you vulnerable? Are you holding, are, can they trust you to share their brokenness? The last characteristic we're going to talk about that Paul said is that a soul friend reflects God's endurance. A soul friend reflects God's endurance. Endurance is one of the final tests, okay? This is one that we actually don't get to see be completed. It's one of the craziest ones because you have to have faith to believe that your soul friend is going to have the endurance to stick with you through the junk. Paul alludes to this faith in verse 6. He says, 
He, I believe, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. See, he knew it because they had been having this endurance of soul friendship with him. He says from day one until now, but it's still just now. He's still in prison, and they are now getting a lot of flack for following Jesus and for following Paul. And so he has to know in faith that they're not going to turn around and say, we actually don't know Paul. We like the previous Paul that was not in jail, but now this Paul, we're not so much involved with him. He has to trust and have faith. Maybe you've heard of fair weather friends before or seasonal friends. They're the ones that are awesome to hang out with. They are great to be around. You probably call them and ask them for favors. They probably call you and ask you for favors. Y'all probably go hang out together, have beers together, go dancing together, go on vacations together. But maybe whenever the times get tough, you don't really see them around so much. Maybe they're not there when it's not as fun to be around you. Maybe they're even the source of the gossip that's happening around you. But soul friends... Soul friends are the ones that you remember celebrating with and crying with. They're probably the ones you have annoyed, annoyed at times by venting or having complaining all the time, and yet they still love you. They still invited you to come out the next day. Soul friends are the ones that are in it for the long haul. They are steadfast. They're likely the ones that when you're throwing the towel in on your marriage, they get you through to the other side. They're the ones that when you're ready to give up on something you worked really hard for, they hold your arms up and say, I'm here. We're, we are going to get through this together. We are going to make it to the other side. Take a look at that list. How are you doing at reflecting God's endurance to them? Are there some friends that aren't on that list anymore because it was too tough to stay friends with them in the past? How are we doing at expressing God's endurance to one another? Now, if some people aren't on that list because you're in a new season or a new place, that's good. That's God's multiplying. He's providing new friends in their lives and new friends in yours. But how are we doing at transitioning to that? We're going to go into a time of worship, but as we do, I want you guys to hold within your heart the idea that your created purpose your destiny was to reflect the image of God to others, was to reflect his presence, his sacrifice, and his endurance to someone else. And I want you to go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. I want you to look, look at your list in your mind's eye. I want you to think of one of them, just one, that today you can pursue and reflect God to them. Maybe it's through presence by calling them or writing them a letter. Maybe it's by giving them a hug. Maybe you've been arguing and it's just some kind words. Perhaps one of them is in need and you can reflect the gift of sacrifice by giving your time, your energy, or your money. Or perhaps you need to remind someone that even though they are in some junk, you are still there with them. And that you're going to be tomorrow and the next day. Imagine if every one of the 250 people that came to church today call one person and reflect God to them. Imagine the ripple effect that could happen in our homes and our communities. 
will you do it? If you're here today and you didn't write a single name down, man, I've been there. I want you to know you're not alone. You're seen by a God who created you for friendship, and there is someone out there he's created to befriend you. You might be the most popular person in this room. You have 5,000 people on Facebook that follow you. You could write 50 friends down, but you feel deep inside totally unknown to another person. You are seen by a God who loves you. That God sent Jesus because the idea of being separated from a relationship and a friendship with you was devastating to him. His original purpose for you, his child, was to reflect his love. So he sent Jesus to redeem you back to soul connectedness, soul friendship with God. And if you don't know this friendship or you've forgotten the sacrifice that was made on the cross for you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for a new life connected to friendship with Jesus. Father, thank you that you created us in your image to reflect you to others. God, thank you that there's some of us in this room who have made it through the fire and we have been refined and we are reflecting an even brighter image of you to others. Lord, would we seek out those who are broken and need your presence, your sacrifice, your endurance. Lord, and if anyone in this room doesn't know you today, doesn't know this kind of friendship, doesn't know this kind of soul connectedness, God, I pray that they would say yes to you today. I pray that they would lift their eyes, lift their arms, lift their hearts and say, I wanna follow a God who created me that way. God, would we walk out of here less lonely? Would we impact one person today and watch our world change one person at a time? In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand with me and as we worship, we're gonna have a prayer team at the back. We would love to pray with you either for you and expressing this friendship or for someone else. Maybe a friend in your life needs the power of prayer today. We hope that you'll do that.